1: and 365 day returns.
2: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine where we're chatting to Tim Weaver. His newest novel is The Blackbird. It's a missing person story, the 12th in the David Raker series. We talk about why you learn a lot more in your second book than you ever do in your first also what sets his teeth on
3: edge while he's writing, and why actually he welcomes the worry. Part of the learning process with writing is that the more you do it, the more you realise that it's not this book, it's every book where you have, will have this this worry about it and doubt about it. I'd actually be deeply suspicious of any writer that gets to an end of a, a book and says do you know what that was a wonderful experience for uh, where i where i had and i haven't i don't doubt for one minute that this book is going to be an amazing success you know like i think writing is just a a series of small battles with yourself there is all that on the way it's a brilliant episode this week with tim weaver
2: on writer's routine Yes, welcome along to the show. It's Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day. Now, this week's episode is brought to you by Plotter. i uh, very excited for a little while. Plotter are helping to power this show. I've really enjoyed talking to you about them for the last few weeks and hearing your experiences with the software. It does everything that you need on the back end of writing So you can focus on actually getting the words down on the page. It does what the title says. It plots. It helps you plan your book the way that you think. It lets you outline faster, organize smarter. It helps you turbocharge your productivity. And if you're a visual writer, and if you look around you right now, wherever you're working, if it's quite a busy, colorful, scattered space... I think this will really help and streamline that process for you because you can put it all on a screen. You get a digital cork board where you can easily swap between the timeline, the outline, your notes, the details on your characters and places. You can even tag and color code them to make it uh, really easy to skim through and find out what you need. It allows you to track all the details of your plot at a scene level, to switch, swap and to use them however you want. And here's what I really like about the software. It's got more than 30 proven plot templates to kickstart your story planning. So if you have an idea, if you have just one little line of what you want your story to be, maybe you're starting out and you're a little bit blocked with ideas of where it can go, if you were just like a, some idea, some help. Forming it into a narrative that you can then build on and go create with, this will sort you out. More than 30 proven plot templates on there from some of the best storytellers around. Now, I think for us writers, we can spend a lot of time faffing around the window dressing of simply getting ideas and words onto the page, and this helps with that. It helps you strip it back to see what is important and what you really need to focus on. It deals with the planning and the plotting, so your job is just to do what you're brilliant at, to get words down on the page. The best way for you to see what it does and how stunning it looks and how helpful it can be is by getting to plotter.com and is by getting to go.plotter.com slash routine and taking a look around. While you're there, you get 10% off the software with this show, so for under 20 pounds, $22.50, I think about 18 quid. You get access to this software forever to help you plan and plot your story to help you organise smarter and outline faster. To get the deal... Follow this link. The code is in there. You can find it on the episode notes of the show too. 10% off with go.plotter.com slash routine. Let's get into it with Tim Weaver then. He's a Sunday Times Million copy bestseller, been nominated for a National Book Award, been a Richard and Judy Book Club pick. He was shortlisted for a CWA Dagger Award too, and he's just published his 12th David Raker novel, The Blackbird. And I'm chatting to him in the middle of, well, two books, really, because the 13th, The Last Goodbye, is out in June, so we'll touch on them both. The Blackbird follows the story of Kate and Aidan Gascoigne, whose car plunges into a ravine and the couple vanish. The Raker series are all about really missing people, which makes them sometimes a why-done-it rather than a who done it We talk about the challenge, then, of writing a series of stories like this. Also, what he thought about when he managed to design his own writing space. You can hear why his brain is in three story spaces at once. We cover the low-level anxiety that he's facing right now and how he's planning to push through. Why he doesn't like to know everything, he likes to be surprised along the way. And there's a lot of fun with the worst advice an author can give and why they simply carry on giving it. I recorded this face-to-face, so it's quite a long... Quite meaty, detailed chat. We really do cover everything and I think there's a lot to get from it. So let's jump into it with Tim Weaver and we start things off as we always do with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write.
3: So I've written 14 books and when I was writing the first six to seven books of the series, I had just a spare room upstairs really that was a general dumping ground for the house. Um, It had my desk and my computer in it and it got quite pressing because it was not the sort of luxurious writerly retreat that I imagined I would have as a writer um so maybe about 5 years ago 5 6 years ago we decided to uh, to convert our garage so we converted our garage in, an internal garage into into my office and that was really cool because it basically allowed me to design my space how i kind of wanted it to be designed uh within reason of course which meant like floor to ceiling bookcases and all that sort of stuff well let
2: me just i'm always really interested in purpose-built writing spaces because that's the dream for uh, so many people listening before you when you were imagining it before it was built what were like the necessities what was the must haves
3: do you remember i think just i I, i'd always i'd always wanted like because because i'm a big Obviously a big reader, but also a big book collector as well. So I've got a lot of books. And basically when I had my room upstairs, they were really just lying around on the floor or in a sort of the the cupboard or whatever, not on display. And so I wanted something that was going to show off, you know, my books. And and also you should have lots of books in a writing space, right? You know, it's, it's sort of part and parcel of it. So... I wanted like floor, the ceiling bookcases and, and the builder came round and he basically said to me, how do you want them to look? And I said, oh, can you sort of embed them in the walls? You know, so they sort of, so the book's sort of, and he said, yeah, we can do that. And and because it's a garage, uh, but the 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 staircase sort of is... It sort of intrudes a little bit on the space, the bottom of the staircase. So it's got a bit of a weird kink at the end of the room. So they but they built all these amazing like book book shelves in and around there. And the only thing I wish I'd done was got them to build more space for books because it's now been five or six years, and of course you collect more and more books as you go and on. So I've added a couple of little sort of standalone bookcases to it. But yeah, so basically as you go into my 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 office oh my Office I'd call it, or but you know my my writing room um there's bookcase there's there's the sort of set in built in bookcases on the on the left and then on the right is a tiny little bookcase full of more books and then then I've got my desk desk on the left, and um, my desk has also got. Um, built into the sides of it. It's also got like mini bookshelves. So they're also full of books as well. Um and then in the cut in the far corner, far left hand corner, I've got I've got another, you know, set of, of bookshelves, standalone bookshelves. I've got a little plot plots and plants. I'm a collector of cacti, so there's plenty of those dotted around. Um and then on my wall I've got I've got a framed um Arsenal shirt um, because I'm an Arsenal fan uh, that my agent gave me when I'd uh, published ten Raker books and my favourite player for Arsenal was Dennis Bergkamp and he played number ten so after I published my tenth Raker book and uh, no one home she she got me this framed Arsenal shirt with ten and Raker written on it so that's on my on my wall as well um, and so yeah that that's that's my 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 writing space really and it looks out over our, our driveway and some of the neighbours we live in a little cul-de-sac so it allows me to do probably what I do best of all, which is just stare out of the window most of the time, searching for inspiration. Surrounded by books, you've
2: got your writing desk. Is there anything in there almost plot-driven? So when you're sat there writing your next book, will I see post-it notes? Is there notepads? Is there maybe a whiteboard? Anything that kind of kicks you into gear?
3: I I don't tend to plan my books, so... I'm actually pretty low on the note-making front. I don't do a lot of that. I just kind of largely let the book take me where I need it to go. Now, there are stages where there are certain things that I need to remember. I mean, I'm getting older now, so there's certain things I need to remember that I might forget. And I do, you know, stick post-it notes on my Mac and dot them around the edge of the screen but I don't have like a document on my Mac and I certainly don't have a whiteboard or anything like that with anything pinned up a lot of what goes into the books I sort of is driven just by me by one number one by me seeing where the plot goes organically, you know, because like I say I don't plan, the other is just because I carry a lot of it round in my head and I find that that's the best way, you know, when I'm walking or when I'm exercising, whatever that's the way, best way to sort of thrash out problems with the plot rather than sitting there in front of a whiteboard, sort of writing ideas on there. I find that the sort of most inspirational moments for me often come when you're out and about walking and just thinking and that sort of stuff and then I let it sort of germinate in my head. So no, I mean there no, I mean at the moment there are green post-it notes dotted around, you know, my, my Mac screen, just reminding me of things in the in about the book I'm writing at the moment. But that's probably about as far as it gets actually.
2: Would the jottings on those post-it notes make sense to anyone but you, or is it just
3: breaker um, does this, you, scrawled, yeah. You know? um, it's more like uh, to be honest, it's more stuff like don't forget to da da, you know, like and and or if I've set something up like for example, in the book I'm writing at the moment, there they you know Raker finds these t- tiny, um, this sort of blood stain on the, on the edge of a boat, and and he can't work out if it's relevant or not. And so I've put a note on my Mac to say, don't forget the blood stain. <laughs> so that's just to remind me to address it. I don't know at this stage in the book because, like I say, I don't plan whether it eventually becomes a huge thing or it's just something that is a bit more of a red herring. I haven't figured that out yet, but it's just to remind me to address it at some stage.
2: In the more theoretical side of writing, this is what always fascinates me. What led you to put? You know, I don't want to talk too much because this is a book that's not even out. Uh, what led you to put the blood stain there? Do you think this was always something percolating in in your? in the back of your mind and, and it might have a big place come the final denouement or is it just something that's turned up and you really don't have any idea
3: what's going on? I think probably more the latter. I mean, sometimes I'll have ideas where I think, oh, that would be cool to sort of try and get that into the story if, 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 if I can. But I think, you know, one of the consequences of um, not planning is that, you know, you get these moments where you write something you write a chapter and something happens in it that you weren't really expecting to happen and and actually had never really factored in and therefore that you know that bloodstain for example that was really me just getting to the end of that particular chapter and thinking i've done what i need to do in this chapter but i need something to kind of more to hook the reader you know like so in this chapter i've done a lot of like heavy lifting in terms of Kach checklisting stuff that he needs to do before he can move on but that if you have too much of that stuff it becomes quite boring you know so you need to that's not a satisfying chapter unless you know he finds something significant or the, the plot is pushed forward in some way you know so so that i can't remember now because i wrote it a couple of months ago but i imagine probably what how that blood stain came about was i got towards the end of that chapter and i ticked off all the things i needed him to practically do within that chapter but then i thought this isn't a thrilling and exciting chapter you know so it needs it needs something else um you know it needs to give the reader uh, something else to be like oh right okay that's interesting and then give them a reason to keep reading you know like what you don't want to do is is lose your reader because you're just filling it full of inf- you know filling every chapter full of information you know
2: 14 books in now are you more comfortable with that side of the process with maybe having things pop up and trusting yourself that it will be dealt with later whereas maybe early on when you had only written a couple of thrillers it was more of a uh, like a thought through granular process that you were thinking right what do i need to do mm. here to m-
3: tie people onto the end um yeah definitely more comfortable I, I mean i think there are two there are two sides to this basically the more books you write the more comfortable you are in terms of dealing with some of the things that crop up and some of the things that crop up almost every single book, and actually if you talk to any writer and you've talked to a lot, I'm sure they would say the same. There are there's a stage in every book, I mean I call it the wall, but there's a stage in every book where you get to a certain stage and then you start having profound and very, very, very strong feelings of doubt about what you're doing. You know, whether you're what you're writing is Whether it's the right plot, whether it's the right characters, whether, you know, you can even do this, you know, like the writing is is, every stage of writing is filled with crushing self-doubt, you know, because you're always worrying that what you're doing is not hitting the standard that you expect. So, you know, there are definitely moments like that in every there are moments like that in every book but i think the more experience you get the more you realize when i i know now when i hit the wall i think well i just have to push through when i first started writing i when i hit the wall at like 30 30 000 words or whatever it is i thought this book's never going to work so you know i'm I just might as well just abandon it and start on a new idea because the next idea is always the best idea, right? So, you know, like the the idea that you're working on now, it become it can become a bit of a grind when you've been doing it for, you know, two or three months and writing the same story, you know. And and part of the 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 part of the learning process with writing is that the more you do it, the more you realise that it's not this book, it's every book where you have will have this this worry about it and doubt about it. I'd actually be deeply suspicious of any writer that gets to an end of a, a book and says, "Do you know what? That was a wonderful experience for where I where I had and I have I don't doubt for one minute that this book is going to be an amazing success." You know, like I think writing is just a a series of small battles with yourself. About what you're doing and whether what you're doing is is the right thing, and I think that really is just driven by a, a um, by a, a kind of sense that you need to make what you're doing better than what you've done before. You know, you need to learn from what you've done and improve as a writer and all that sort of stuff. And so you're you're really t- t- sort of challenging yourself every book to try and get better. And 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 you know, so y- every single book there will be it will be full full of moments of self doubt but as you get more experience you can push past that and know that that's part of the process so i say that would be the major difference between when i started and when i what what i'm doing now but i think my process my actual process is probably pretty similar which is i just have an idea for a mysterious and unexplained disappearance and then i start writing it and see where the plot takes me and the reason i do that basically well i do it for lots of different reasons and this isn't really an answer to your question but i do it for lots of different reasons but one of the reasons is that if i You know, I want to experience the book how the reader experiences it. And I think that if you're surprising yourself, then there's a good chance you're surprising the reader.
2: Yeah, you're not alone there. I spoke to Anne Cleaves, who's, you know, published about a million books. And she said, why would I want to read this book twice? Pretty much. Uh, Describing that trust that you have with yourself now, how long do you think that took you to get? If you remember your early days of writing when you were still having a day job do you remember kind of figuring it out i'm thinking oh, okay i'm a few books down now i I understand this more i understand the, the, the strain that this will come every time and now i need to sit down and
3: just crack on and we can get there i think you figure it out pretty early to be honest i mean i think i think you know like book but one is always it's always a sort of false idea of what writing a book is because when you're writing that first book you get to spend years and years on it you know probably um and even if you're one of the fortunate people who you know gets an agent straight off the bat and gets a publisher straight off the bat you're still going to spend probably a year, a couple of years, editing it, editing it, editing it, and you know, getting it into the best state it can possibly be before it ever comes out. You know, so with your debut, it's not a really I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a very um, accurate view of what writing is. You know, actually, it really starts with your second book because then you're most writers, you know, the vast majority of writers are on one a year contract. You know, so we're writing one book a year, and therefore you're then starting to have to deliver. A top quality book within a much shorter period of time and that's really where you you find out about your process and about all the many things that come from writing a book so I would say I learned much much more from my second book than I did from my first and, and I learned a lot from my first but the second really is where the business starts you know my calendar basically has been the same for a while now, you know um for, for as long as I can remember actually it was probably slightly different when I first started but basically September the first i start well September the first I tend to to deliver on my the book I'm writing at the moment, so that'll go to my publisher and then the rest of september i'll generally I'll generally have have off to just chill out and just decompress a bit how does that make dad in the summer holidays when, when you're right
2: when you're right before deadline
3: it's, it's difficult and 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 that's why often i i don't deliver on the first of september i deliver like a couple of weeks later it's because you know the summer holidays are not i an ideal time to be writing through you know so so if i'm being honest with myself i probably do deliver more like mid mid to late september um But anyway, you know, I'll deliver that and then I'll always have a couple of weeks off, you know, because the last couple of months of writing a book are very stressful, you know, Um, and they're stressful for all sorts of reasons. But but mainly it's and it's not I always sort of have to have to sort of underline that this it's not hard work like digging roads or working down a coal mine, but it's sort of like mentally exhausting you know like you, you you're you thinking about in those last couple of months you're thinking about it the whole time like literally all day in the evenings when you go to sleep when you woke up at night when you wake up at night all the time you know you're thinking about it so when you deliver a book you do need that moment of decompression so for a couple of weeks i'll take off just not think about the book and just you know go with my wife to the cinema or do all this you know like go out for lunches and stuff and that sort of thing the sort of stuff that you just don't get to do during those those last couple of weeks i'm lucky because my daughter's a lot older now so she's in doing a levels at the moment so you know like this quite it's a relatively quiet house so that's great as well because you get that time to just like you know i mean i love love being a dad but um you know the age she's at now is a lot easier in terms of you not running around after them the whole time and having to entertain them the whole time so you can really get that and that's important i think to just not even look at any piece of writing at all for two or three weeks you know clear your head and then october time i'll start researching my books you know uh, and and that generally comes off the back of having had an idea about where the new one might might go you know um, obviously with the Raker series it's like I said earlier it's all about a mysterious and unexplained disappearance so the difficulty really is and the thing that requires a lot more work is is trying to make the disappearance in this book like different to the last one but also bigger and better and hookier and all those sorts of things so that takes a bit of thought and then once I've decided on that I'll, I'll do my research go out and research chat to people if I need to and all that kind of stuff and that normally takes me a month month and a half and a half And then November time, I'll generally generally sort of bring it all together in my head. And then December the 1st, I I tend to start writing it. And so I worked December through to September on it then pretty much all the time. You know, um, I generally try and work like a nine to five routine if I can. Um, I mean, we may well talk about about this in a bit, but um, I always try to do like a... A proper day because I think you know when you work. I'm lucky enough to be able to do this full time, and when you're working from home, it can be, you know, there's lots of distractions. You know, going to sit on the sofa and watch Netflix or whatever. You know, so I try to work a nine to five day and try to hit 1,500 words a day um, every day. You know, well not every day, five days a week at least, and then and yeah, and so that's that's really you know my my writing year, Um, and you know, it's not. You know, it generally takes me about 10 months to write a book, but that's not 10 months of solid writing. Obviously, in between, you're doing lots of other stuff. You know, you're doing events and you're doing things like this. But you're also, you know, at the moment, for example, the Blackbird paperback has just come out like two weeks ago. Um, the, the Last Goodbye, my new book, comes out in June in hardback. And I'm also writing the one that follows The Last Goodbye. So you're almost like juggling three books at the same time. So that takes a lot of time. And then I've also got some TV stuff that's going on in the background as well. So there's lots of stuff sort of that, that takes time out of schedule. So it's not 10 months of solid writing. But I would say... Generally, it takes about ten months for a book to come together.
2: Is there order to all the other stuff that's going on in your life like with the t v stuff that might be floating away? you know that you've got interviews to do, you've got other bits of press to do is is there like a structured order to it because i'm I know that i am I'm useless with any kind of like formal timetable. It's just like an email and it reminds me that I need to do this. I wonder if you're better than that
3: i'm I try to be I try to be, but I think you know. Sometimes, uh, sometimes what I find is that when you're really in a really in a book, you know, like really in it, like it can become quite hard to keep on top of all the peripheral stuff that you need to do, and a lot of it's very important life stuff, you know. Um, and I try not, I try to be organised, you know, and I, I do have my reminders in my phone about all the stuff that I've got to do, but inevitably there are things that you know slip through the net, and that really is a, just a um, a byproduct of sinking yourself into these these books you know and and for you know seven or eight hours every day you're in there you're you're in the you're in the book you live in that that kind of world and so everything else just become just fades into the background you know so so I would say I'm generally on top of stuff but I definitely am not on top of everything you know
2: well, you've touched on the day, so let's do that then. The show is writers' routine, so just run us through a whole thing. How does it look from when you wake up to the moment you go to bed? Just run us through it and leave no stone you might see to be tedious. I assure you, it's not. So just take us through the whole thing.
3: Okay, so my my routine is not rigid every single day. Generally, I work Monday to Friday, um, and I definitely only worked Monday to Friday when I was when I, my my daughter was younger. And uh, but these days, because she's got so much work on with school and all that sort of stuff. I've sort of got into a routine now of working a bit more on weekends. So, but, but but generally, I'll try to have a bit of time off over the weekends just to recharge and rethink. But but my general day would be, you know, in a working week, you know, my wife has to be up at half past six, so she wakes up at half past six, so we'll go downstairs, the three of us have a cup of tea together and chat about whatever, you know, and, and, and just kind of um, talk about the day ahead and what's, what's what we've all got on. Then my wife will go off and, and uh to work and my daughter will go off to school. And and some days what I tried to do is my, my daughter goes about eight o'clock, gets the bus about eight o'clock. What what I tried to do is I tried to start my writing at half past seven. I find that I'm incredibly productive early in the morning. It's not always possible because some days, you know, you might have something on or, you know, you just like I obviously like to exercise as well, and I'm not one of these people who can save exercise until later on in the day i hate it i just want to get it out of the way you know like i i i i do exercise because to keep myself like healthy i don't do it because i love it you know so so i like i get i get my exercise out of the way some days and i um, but but on the days where i might be walking instead of getting on the bike or running or whatever um, I don't mind walking a bit later because I can think about the book then. So I've, I consider that sort of uh, work in time, you know. So on those days, I'll try and start at 7.30. I've been been doing that quite a bit over the last three or four weeks, and I found I've been incredibly productive. I, I tried to hit 1,500 words a day, and the other morning I, I hit 1,500 words by half past nine. So after two hours, and I'm quite a slow writer. I'm not a fast writer at all. So for me, that's incredibly productive. So those days are great because by half past nine, you feel like the pressure's off a little bit. So anything beyond that is a real bonus. On the days when I exercise, I generally won't start writing until probably about half past nine. And then that takes me a bit longer for whatever reason, maybe because you're not quite as like when you first get up, your head's clear, like you've got nothing else to think about. So you can you can get on with it. By half past nine, you've, lots of other stuff's happened. So... That normally means that the fifteen hundred words take me to just after lunch or mid afternoon or something like that. But I generally, if I work in, if I start at half by seven, I'll I'll just power through until I get fifteen hundred words. And then in the afternoon, I'll tend to do something different, you know. And so, like I mentioned, the TV stuff that's required like quite a lot of. Script revisions and pitch documents and all that sort of stuff. So it's been useful from that point of view because it means I get my 1500 words done on Raker for the day or the book I'm on. And then in the afternoon, I've still got time to do all this other pitch document stuff as well. When it's it's a bit harder on the days where I start at half past nine because Raker is like, at the moment, because the TV stuff is bubbling under and nothing's actually, it's all in development. It's not actually been green lit. It's not a sure thing. Whereas with the Raker stuff, that is my number one priority. So until that 1,500 words has been done, um, I don't move on to anything else, you know. So on the days where I start at half past nine, I, I finish, you know, don't get to fifteen hundred words till mid afternoon. And then what I'll do is on both those days, whether I finish early with the fifteen hundred words or uh, you know by mid morning, or I finish the fifteen hundred by mid afternoon, I'll set the what I've written aside for a couple of hours, and then I'll come back to it and re- re-read what I've written for the day. Um, and I do that to save myself the time the next day of going through and, and re-looking at what I'm, de- I'm doing. And that really is... that. I, that I you know, It's not a revolutionary idea by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not suggesting it is, but that really, w- w- I realised, was was very important, was when I did my... before I ever got published, what happened was that I finished my debut... And I thought by finishing it, that was like the hardest, hardest part, you know. So I sent it off and of course it got rejected by, you know, every literary agent in London, I think, you know, um, or it certainly felt like that. And and it just was this hamster wheel of rejection. And then my daughter was born and then I took like eight, six to eight months off from even as much as looking at the book. And then I came back to it after six months and I was like, ah, now I see why it's being turn down this absolute trash you know <laughs> and that, that perspective that time away from it allowed me to see it more clearly and so that's what I always try to do now and of course two hours is not the same as six months but two hours does allow you to just step away from the chapter you've written and see it with a fresh perspective so I always like to reread and re-edit if necessary what I've written that day before I start the next day you know and I do generally it's not I mean because of the Length of the chapters I write are relatively short. I do generally find that 1,500 words is around or about the right chapter length, you know, and I like to finish a chapter by the end of the day. I don't like to leave a chapter hanging, if possible. But, I mean, yesterday was slightly different for me. I wrote 2,600 words yesterday, and that was one chapter. But that's quite un- unusual. Normally, 1,500 is about the about the chapter length.
2: You say you're quite a slow writer. Is, is- do those 1500 words do they have to be perfect first go are you just are you doing the standard vomit draft first time and just getting your ideas down or does that two hours in the afternoon that fresh perspective does it help you get things sorted
3: um i'm not definitely not a vomit draft kind of guy like i'm i've got a borderline slight obsession with with um making a chapter as good as it can possibly be before I can move on, you know. And so it, it, I guess it's why it takes me 10 months to write a book. And that's 10 months to get to a first draft. It's not 10 months to, like, redraft it five or six times, you know. But what happens is with, with that first draft, it is generally, and obviously it still needs to be massively edited and and everything else, it is generally quite up together for a first draft. It's like... My first draft, I guess, would be the equivalent of someone else who does, like, a vomit draft. Um, They're, like, fifth or sixth draft, you know? I, I, I tend to not... Uh, you know, some writers I've talked to, they just blitz through it and they just leave gaps here and say, fill this in, you know, this character needs... Yeah, set your
2: teeth on edge when you hear uh, I can't do that. There's
3: <laughs> there's absolutely no way I can do that. So, you know, for me, like, I need to finish a draft and make it as good as possible before I can move on. And then actually the whole book is a bit like that and I write chronologically as well so I'm definitely not one of these writers who can go I'm going to write the end you know so it has to so that I think that's why it's so slow is because each chapter has to be right before I can move on and you know so this chapter I wrote yesterday if I I, I've I reread it last night and I thought yeah that generally hangs together and that's fine you know that's good enough for me to move on now but It might be that in the next chapter I write something I think, oh, I've forgotten to do that thing in the last chapter. Then you go back to it and you read it and you're like, actually, is it as good as I thought? And then you get hung up on other stuff. The other thing I find I do a lot of is you get to like when you go on holiday, say for a week or when you're out of away, you know, doing stuff like this or events or whatever for a few days. You you kind of lose the lose a little bit of the rhythm of the of the book, you know, you're not as as in it. So what you end sometimes you have to do is you have to spend and it can take a couple of days going back to further into the book to kind of remind yourself of where you, where you're at and all the balls you you're putting in the air and all that kind of stuff and I suppose if I planned my books, it would be a lot easier because you could just go to your plan and say, "Oh, you did this here and you did that there." Um, but but so I do tend to do that as well, and that can be not wasted days, but it can be days that you don't factor into your sort of timetable, but are necessary just to get you back into the rhythm of the book. You know.
2: So this this hobby now of hobby that's the wrong word this this new practice of going back in later and having a couple of hours just looking through what you've done that day. How helpful have you found it? Have you found that it, it, it's it's made it almost unnecessary because you're you're being more aware of maybe the pitfalls that you're falling into, so you can kind of clear those up in the morning before you even need to go back and look them up.
3: I think it's just a it's just for me it's really just um it's a completest thing I suppose in, in in as much as um I can't I just can't leave things like. Sort of half, uh, sort of not half-ass. That's not the right word, but I can't leave. I, I, I can't. I'm not one of those writers who can just put, you know, a little footnote and say, "Fill this in later." So, so the reread really is not so much a sense check, although that is part of it. Um, it's more to just make sure that everything is sort of ticking the boxes. I need to to connect the tissue of the book together, you know. So the chapter I wrote yesterday is, and I've done it quite a few times in my books, the, the chapter I wrote yesterday on the, the new new book is, is is, a chapter that seems unrelated to the the main Raker mystery, you know, is set in a very different place with very different characters. And therefore, you know, you and readers who've read my books will know that inevitably those things all kind of tie together. But the reader at this stage is going to be thinking less, how does this, tie in because I think they will know me by now that it will tie in but what sorry what they'll be thinking is this doesn't they won't be thinking this doesn't tie in they'll be thinking how does this tie in and so therefore you need to give them little tiny like easter eggs to kind of keep them thinking and, and and lay those breadcrumbs and stuff and that's all the stuff that the reread helps me see more clearly you know at the end of the day is I've taken a couple of hours away and now am I laying all the the groundwork I need to kind of connect all the dots later on in the book.
2: When you finish your day, hopefully at five o'clock, and family comes home, how good are you at switching off, completely switching away from the plot, or is it always there?
3: I'm pretty good generally, I have to say. Yeah, like uh, I mean, it depends at what stage you're at with a book. I, I think you know, the beginning of the book, like the one I'm on now. You know, I've been writing it what three or four months now. It's still quite easy to switch off from it, you know, because it's it's still, I mean, I've done 45,000 words on it. My average book length is about 120, I would say. So I'm, a, you know, under halfway still. So there's still quite a long way to go. Um, and so it's quite easy to switch off, actually, you know, at, at this stage. At the end, you know, when I get to like July, August, September time, it's quite difficult to switch off and those are to be honest the times where I might say to my wife I'm just going to work tonight if you're having a really good day and your the words are really really flowing often and you know at that stage I'll say to my wife I'm going to work I'm going to carry on working tonight because you you need to make the most of it because there are also going to be days where you you just every single word is like pulling teeth you know and there's no rhyme or or reason to it it's not like filling out a spreadsheet you know some days you just are inspired and some days you aren't you know so the days when you really are and especially towards the end of a book where you can see the the finish line in sight and therefore you know that um you know that you, you, you're you getting there you, you can taste you can taste it's like palpable you can taste the end of the novel um and you want to get to the end of the novel for a number of reasons but most because you're sick to death of the book <laughs> those are the times where where um where it's more difficult to switch off, I think. And so those are the times where I might say to you know, my wife and daughter that like, I'm not gonna watch anything on T V tonight or or whatever, I'm gonna carry on writing. I try not to do that too often because I also do think that it is important to step away from the book, to give yourself that distance for all the reasons I've talked about already, you know. Um but but sometimes it is difficult to switch off right at the end of a of a novel because it's just everything you know it's it's consuming you in in terms of you know where the way you you're it's consuming you when you're writing it. it's consuming you when you're not writing it so so i tend to make the most of the period i'm in now with the book which is not so intense and this is when you know you watch all your tv shows and you you know spend time with your family and you try to get out on weekends if you can all that sort of stuff because towards the other end of the process it becomes a lot more a lot more difficult to do that
2: We're back with more from Tim in just a sec. Thank you so much to Plotter for sponsoring the show for a little while. You can find out how they can help plan and plot your show. Get to go.plotter.com forward slash routine. 10% off with this show while you're there. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you've learned anything along the way, if you've got anything so far with this very meaty episode with Tim Weaver, you can always support us. supporting you i guess you can help us out for helping you with ideas and tips and tricks from the best authors at patreon.com forward slash writers routine you can become a backer you can help us carry on bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can now over on patreon for backing us you get uh, our eternal thanks there is merch there is bonus episodes there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show it doesn't cost a lot I know times are tight, so anything that you can give goes an extraordinarily long way. I'm so appreciative for all of the backers. If that's you, if you have supported us at all, if you passed through for a month, if you've been around and backed for a little while, thank you so much. And if you would like to get involved and help out the show, get to patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it with Tim Weaver then chatting about his newest published novel, The Blackbird. He's got another one out, The Last Goodbye, that's out in June. The Blackbird follows the story of Kate and Aidan Gascoigne, whose car plunges into a ravine. But then the couple vanish. It's more of a why-done-it than a who done it We talk about how much he plans, why he doesn't like to know a lot, and what happens when it finally comes together. Also, there's some brilliant details about what happens in the contract. So if, if you're just starting out writing and you're wondering what could happen when you finish your novel, what you might be tied into. We talk all about word count and what you need to write, what's in the finer details of your deal. And we get back into it. We're chatting about how he's feeling at the moment, really. We've spoken with Tim about how he's round about 40,000 words in to another book that he's writing. Some people say 40,000 words is a tricky point. It's the baggy middle. How's he finding it?
3: For me at the moment it's less I don't feel like the middle is particularly baggy. My my the slight low level stress I've got at the moment, um, with the book I'm writing is how I'm gonna tie everything together. You know, like so I've set up I've set up different storylines and I've set and I've got lots of different things. I was talking about the blood stain earlier on the boat, you know, that's just one small example, but there's lots of that stuff dotted around that is like, ooh, is, you know, is that relevant? Isn't it relevant? Is it going to tie in? How does it tie in? And because, you know, as I say, I keep saying I don't plan. I'm not sure myself at this stage, you know, what is significant and what isn't. And so at this stage, I would say it's less... I think the more experienced you get, the more you 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 see the pitfalls of the baggy middle. That that doesn't make it easier to get over, but you can you can sort of you sort of know how to remedy it. I I think the the real struggle at this stage is that sort of low level anxiety about how it's all going to come together.
2: What about the wall though? So I do a lot of running, and when you run a long way you're always worried that this wall is coming that there's going to be a real real few miles of absolute struggle um as you're kind of creeping towards it what's your emotions like as a writer knowing that this might be coming up
3: well i think you i think you know you you just i think you just after a few books you just accept that it's going to happen and it happens at a, a a slightly different stage with every book, but it is going to happen. You know, there is going to be a stage where you're just, I mean, the book, the last goodbye, which comes out in June was probably the most traumatic writing experience of of my life. You know, that book would not come together. It would not come together. And I'm, you know, I was, uh, my first draft was massively bloated, like hugely overwritten in terms of word count. Um, and still, I was writing it, thinking, I, "I need to do this. I need to do that. I've set this up. I can't do that, you know." And there were nights where I sort of wandered through to the to the living room, and you know, my wife and daughter looked at me, and I must have looked like I was sort of <laughs> off, wandered off the set of The Walking Dead because I just, I, I remember saying to my wife, "I don't, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can pull it together." You know, like there were so many you know, even now I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, I'm not exactly sure why it was like that, but it just, when I was in it, it felt, it just felt like this enormous wall that I could not get past. You know, I could not think how to tie this together, how to pull it off satisfactorily, how to, you know, deliver the sort of twists and turns that readers would expect from a, from a raker, you know, a a weaver book or whatever, you know, I, I, I just couldn't think I had to do it, and it was so so hard, such a hard write. And so the wall on that actually came pretty late, and I was worse in a way because when it comes earlier, you know, when it comes at the thirty, forty thousand word mark, and you start thinking to yourself, "Is this the right book? Am I, you know, am I going in the right direction with this? Are these? Is this the right storyline?" At that stage, because you're earlier on in the process, you still got a real opportunity if you wanted to to affect quite fundamental change to that novel. Whereas because the war came so much later in The Last Goodbye, like when I was eight, nine, even ten months into writing this book, 120, 130, 100, 140,000 words on the first draft, I was hitting it then and I was thinking, there's nothing I can do about this. I can't go back to the start. I can't turn around to my publisher now and say, I, this book's no good. I need to start again. You know because I'm past my delivery deadline. You know this book needs to come out in June 2023. You know there's no going back. But how the hell am I going to pull all this together? So the book was so stressful. It was. It was an un, and and. People have asked me why, and I honestly couldn't tell you why it was so much harder than anything else, because I approached it in exactly the same way I've approached all my other books. The stories, the the tricks I sort of used, they were all exactly the same. But for whatever reason, this book was a nightmare. So
2: uh, wait uh, more towards the craft of it then. You're someone that doesn't plot, so doesn't necessarily know where it's going. What do you do? Like, you, you're not someone that's got... Uh, like a spreadsheet with everything that should happen or big brainstorms and mind maps with different words shooting off it. When you do hit that wall and you know that you need to tie these things together, but maybe you're not actually certain how they are
3: tied together at that point, what did you do? I just (laughs) internally cried a lot. (laughs) Uh, You know, I was just... I just, again, you know, like I keep saying, you you just you just have to push through, you know, and and that sounds sort of sounds a little bit like uh, simplistic, and I suppose it is in many ways, you know, it's just a very simplistic piece of advice, you know, when. When I did an event last last month in Nottingham, a, a reader in the audience said, "Oh, I've reached the baggy middle, and I don't know how to get past it." And literally, uh, my answer was, "You just have to. You just have to write it's it."
2: The, it's always the worst advice to hear, as yeah, well. Is it, I I I said, so- yeah, I
3: said, "I'm sorry." I said to, her, "I'm really sorry. I know this isn't helpful in any way, but you just have to." I think the thing with the last goodbye, though, was it was just, it was just that it was just that it, it just came so late, you know, and so it sort of it sort of it really disrupted me discombobulated me because it was it was the war is so much earlier for me normally and then i can push past it because i know that it's just you know like the doubts i'm having about the story about the characters about you know whether i whether i've got it in me to write another book that's all perfectly normal whereas this felt abnormal to me which is why i think i felt it was it felt it so profoundly and i was so like down on myself because i was thinking Maybe I finally reached the book where that is going to break me. You know, like is I'm not going to be able to finish a book. You know, for the first time in 14 years. You know, so I don't know really. I just I just pushed I just pushed on. I just I just kept writing. I I, I hit I went way over 120 thousand words and I and I was sitting for 140 thousand. I got to almost 150 thousand words and I, and so at the back of my head I was thinking also stressing me out was thinking I'm going to have to cut at least 30,000 words out of this and that's a lot of words you know like for some people that's a third of a novel you know so that was also stressing me out and I was thinking this word counts obscene so it was just lots of things going on in my head and so I was just again I just had to push that aside and I just thought just finish the book you know finish the book and then as soon as you finish the book at least you've got something to work work through because you you can't abandon this now you just cannot abandon this um and what's interesting is that the 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 level of struggle that i have on a book is often directly related to the reaction that people have to it it's what's all the books that i've struggled the most on people of readers have always like, enjoyed them more and I always think that's quite interesting. It must mean that, you know, that struggle is somehow, I don't know, articulated in the book somehow, you know. like. And so when I sent the last goodbye into my editor, I was really nervous about it because I, I managed to cut the 30,000 words from it.
2: Hats, very quickly, sorry, when you're faced with the prospect of cutting 30,000 words, there'll be quite a lot of other stuff you have to figure out because of that you know, if you're cutting out whole chapters, well, you've got to kind of fill in those chapters elsewhere. 30,000, that's a third of many, many people's books. How did you know where to
3: start? Do you know what? I I was really nervous about it starting. I thought I'm never going to be able to cut 30,000 words from this because everything is so fundamental to the plot, you know? Um, And, but, you know, when you start, it's actually really surprising because I did exactly the same with this one. that I'd done with all my books, which is I, I finished it and then I stepped away from it for a week. So I didn't go. I didn't finish it and then immediately go back and edit it. You know, stepped away. And when I came back to it, I could see that there were lots of areas that you can still maintain. You can still deliver the same message, deliver what you need to deliver, but you can cut a lot of the that cut off a lot of the fat. So. In my first drafts, one of the things that I tend to do is I, I, I over describe a little bit. So, and what I mean by that is, if someone if Raker walks into a place, I want the reader to be in the, in there. But sometimes I'll talk about every detail, you know. So that's an easy cut because when you come back to it a week later, you are like, well, that can go, that can go, that can go, because the reader doesn't need to know any of that. And actually, you know what? And as you go through, it's really surprising how much those little cuts total start tot- totting up you know and so you know i'd got through like a hundred pages of, of on my word document uh of of the novel and i'd i'd already cut almost ten thousand words you know so it was actually quite straightforward i think it was more just like the idea of it that was that was big and then what i also know is that when it goes into my editor she'll also cut stuff out she'll say you don't need this this is you know Readers will understand that this is, you know, what you mean. You don't need to spell it out or whatever. And then you can cut more words. So it's a silly thing to kind of get stressed about. But I think when you're you're in that moment, when you're so stressed about whether this story is going to come together, you also stress about all the other stuff as well. So the word count was also massively stressing me out because I thought there is no way on earth you can deliver 150,000 word thriller. Well, not unless you're Robert Goldbraith or whatever, but... You know, us mere mortals cannot deliver a hundred and fifty thousand. It has to get down, and even a hundred and twenty for you know is is at the you know that's that's probably like four hundred and fifty pages of an, a four hundred and fifty page novel. You know, so it's it it needs to be that or below. You know, so on the practical aspect of that, is there? Because I know that when you sign a
2: contract, I imagine uh, it's for one hundred and twenty thousand pages of a book or whatever it is is there a bit of give and take? So if you went up to one, two, two, uh, or if you were down to one, 100,000, yeah. could no, you have that conversation? Yeah,
3: absolutely. And there's no, there's no real stipulation. I mean, you know, my first novel was 97,000 words, you know, um, and then one of my books was almost 140,000 words. I think it's more just like, um, if the novel... Does the novel feel? Are are you reading the novel thinking this feels long? You know, now if you are, then you've done something really fundamentally wrong because the thriller is supposed to keep you turning those pages. One hundred twenty thousand really is just a marker for me. I always try to get it down below below that and hopefully way below that. You know, but that's just like the top end of where I want my books to be, and that's like I say, about four hundred fifty page novel. You know, so so sometimes it's more. And sometimes, you know, that doesn't mean it's feels like a long novel. I've read very short novels that feel like they go on forever. And I've read very long novels that absolutely whip by in the blink of an eye, you know. So don't get too, you know, for writers out there, don't get too hung up on word count and, and, and number of pages in that. Because that's something that you can always down with an editor and that sort of thing so I, I always I always think because of the nature of the stories I write which are which tend to be raker and then one or two other characters that all sort of come together at the end they they do tend to be a bit a bit more than than a hundred thousand you know but um so I, that's why I sort of say that no more than 120 you know and then once you've edited it and then you've edited it with your editor you're getting it down much closer to a hundred thousand words then
2: you were talking about the struggle with the last goodbye, how much has that changed? Because I've noticed when we've been chatting for the last 40 minutes or so, um, you've mentioned that you're not a plotter, but kind of brought up some of the benefits, what would happen if you were. Uh, How much has that influenced the way that you're writing onwards, that you're writing now? Have you lost slight trust with your ability to be able to satisfactorily Tie it all together at the end without giving yourself a massive headache.
3: No, not really. Um, I, I would never. I would never um, plot a, a book out. Um, and the reasons really are, are, are pretty simple. I mean, I mentioned a couple of the benefits. I I, I feel a big benefits earlier. One is that you know you have these. If if you're surprising a reader, you're probably surprising yourself. Also, I agree with Ankle. It's like you need as a writer you need to enjoy what you're doing as much as possible and I wouldn't enjoy just working from a plan I like to find out about stuff as I'm going through as well there needs to be some level of spontaneity and excitement for me one of the 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 other major reasons though really are, are that number one is that when the novel grows sort of organically with you you get these wonderful moments that you could never have foreseen that just come out of nowhere and some of the what I would consider and hope are my best twists or the best characters or that sort of stuff have come when I've got there not because I've thought about them and, and one of the and that's kind of related to the, the other big reason I don't plan and that is that for me characters don't come alive until you get them on the page they really don't so you can think about a character or you like and you can you know write down his, physical, his or her physical description and their past and their history and all that sort of stuff. But until you get them on the page, until you're in their head writing about them, until you're getting them interacting with other characters, it's very, very hard to get an idea of, for me, an idea of who they are. And, and, and the example I always use of this is in my second book, The Dead Tracks, I introduced a character called Colm Healy who is this uh, sort of broken detective. Um, in many ways, sort of flipped he's he's he mirrors a lot a lot of who raker is but he is also very different in a lot of ways and I, I introduced him really as a sort of to have him butting heads with raker and then he was going to get killed off at the end of the second book but as soon as i started writing him i just loved writing him i thought he was brilliant in his interactions with raker and it just felt so natural not just from me as, as the writer but it felt natural it, it, it read naturally on the page this kind of relationship between them. So, you know, I never killed Healy off at the end of book two because I wanted to see him again and again and, you know, he's in the Blackbird. So that shows the the benefit for me of not working too closely to a plan. Now, I guess planners would argue, well, you can do that if even if you plan. You can make those decisions and you can, but I think I didn't get a sense of who Healy was until he was on the page chatting with Raker and stuff. So... Those are the major reasons for me, you know, and I think that, you know, in a thriller, a thriller, the clue's in the name, it's built to thrill, right? So you have to have these twists, you have to fool the reader, the reader has to, the reader loves, and I know I'd love this as a reader of thrillers as well, you love to be fooled and surprised, but you also like to understand... The journey to that moment so you want there to have been a a trail of breadcrumbs to that moment not just like and the killer is this guy who we saw for five minutes on page 25 you know it needs to be feel so all that sort of stuff i find is is much easier to do when you don't know who the killer and who what the twist is and all that sort of stuff is going to be yourself because you might get to a moment and think, oh, you know what would be a really cool idea here is the reader will think that this guy is doing it, but so I'm going to make sure that someone else is doing it it allows you that that sense of perspective, I think so that's basically why I don't plan, yeah
2: When does it all start to come together in your mind then? Uh, I, I, is there like a standard point, and I know this obviously wasn't the truth for the last goodbye, if you could say, okay, seventy-five percent of the way, you're thinking, all right, I've got a, a, I've got to grips with who has done this, what's happening. I spoke to another author many years ago now, who had set it up for one person to be the killer, and then the killer walks through the door, and she discovers as she's writing, oh, it's someone else. Yeah. In your mind, when are when's the clarity coming towards the end?
3: Um, I don't think there's any one definite moment, and that that you know when you reference in the the other writer that that's very true of of a lot of my books you know like the last goodbyes like that the blackbird was like that as well you know like you get to the end and there's i mean there's a the blackbird ends in a certain way and that ending didn't come to me until i literally got there you know i thought this would be a good ending and so the clarity really is i would say that for me there are lots of different moments of clarity it's not really one big ta-da moment it's more just like as you're going through the book you think oh this would be a good this this would be a good thing to do here because it ties all the different elements together or you know oh, i finally had clarity on how to you know that chapter i was talking about earlier where it seems completely unrelated to the raker plot line now i know how to bring those two together those but that might happen at like the 30% 40% of the way through it might not happen at the end you know so for me there are lots of different moments i think when you get to the end of the book and you have that big i mean what's interesting about the last goodbye is that it's more of a why done it than a who done it so that was very different for me i mean not all my books are who done its but they generally have like big reveals and so with the last goodbye like the for what of a better word the antagonist or the villain or whatever is is revealed quite early on but you're trying to figure out why this is going on you know so the moment of clarity for that happened quite early because I knew why he was doing everything because I already knew he was the the antagonist you know so yeah and it was still a, it was still a struggle I, for me there's no and that's why everyone you know we're in the penguin offices today and there are books all around us and that's why everyone writes different books in a different style and has different approaches because there's no one right answer you know so by me knowing who the the antagonist is really early on was no more helpful than only realizing who it is right at the end you know um and th- I, that's why i don't think there's any like right or wrong reason there's no if there was a um, if there was a moment of clarity that everyone had at the same point with in the same book, we'd probably be writing a very similar books, and everyone would be writing books, you know, because it'd be a much simpler process. So there's no wrong or right answer, and that's the great thing about about writing is that you can pretty much do whatever you you want and approach it however you want. You can plan it, or you can't plan it. You can write about something, you know, that is in the news or set it in a fantasy land you can do anything you want and that's what's so brilliant about writing and about books in generally. Uh, in general so there's no, and, and in the same way that you can write about anything you can, you can get to that stage of finishing a book any way you want Thank you so much to Tim Weaver for
2: coming on the show that new book is The Blackbird it's out right now and his new new book is The Last Goodbye which is out in June a couple of months time Now, next week, we're with Becky Hunter talking about her new one, One Moment. In the meantime, you can become a backer and support the show, patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. Get 10% off the brilliant software, Plotter, go.plotter.com slash routine. Drop us a follow on Twitter. You can always get in touch with the show too, writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with Becky Hunter on the show. Until then, bye.